for the first time and being deeply moved by this very average woman. Nothing particularly striking about her. But she was obedient to God's love and to be a messenger to his gospel and helped not just Elmo Sonia, but many, many others find forgiveness and peace before their deaths. Even as I say that, though, I am aware that many of us struggle with the very idea that anyone should find God's forgiveness for such terrible crimes. It doesn't sit well with us. And I think this is exactly how the protagonist feels in our Old Testament reading this morning. That's the Jewish prophet Jonah. You see, Jonah is called to go to the Ninevites of Assyria to be God's messenger of repentance and forgiveness to a people who were on a par with the Nazis in the terrible war crimes that they committed, crimes committed against the Israelite nation and against other nations as well. And therefore, they were feared and hated by all the nations around them. So you can imagine why Jonah would be hesitant to do what God wants him to do. Number one, he probably feared for his life if he gives this message. And then number two, he also feared that they might actually be forgiven. But this is what God calls him to do. And as we'll see today, it's because of his love for all of his creation and ultimately because salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his decision who will be forgiven, not humankind's. So let's turn to our scripture for today and see what God would say to each one of us through his word. You can either follow along on the scripture sheets or you can follow along on the screens or on a Bible app if you have one. But first of all, what do we know about Jonah? Now, you probably may have read the story about Jonah and the whale when you were a kid. Raise your hands if you heard it when you were a kid, right? You probably had one of those picture books or maybe one of those felt books or whatever it was, something like that, right? Now, maybe you heard it in Sunday school at some stage. Maybe you even had a Jonah-themed nursery with a big whale on the wall, right? And beautiful thing. But what do we really know about him? Well, Jonah's what's called a minor prophet. Now, this isn't some kind of insult, right? Denoting some kind of insignificance on his part, like I play in the major leagues versus I play in the minor leagues, or being a major success story versus being a minor success story. No, there is no qualitative difference between a major and a minor prophet in Scripture, where we find there are four major prophets and 12 minor prophets. The labels major and minor just mean the length of the prophecy recorded. For instance, the book of Isaiah, who's a major prophet, very long book, is much longer than Amos or Jonah, both minor prophets. But the length of the books written doesn't determine the value of what God's saying. The major and minor prophets were of equal importance. But what else do we know? Well, Jonah prophesied from 782 to 735 BC. That's about a century after the prophet we talked about last week, Elijah. And another century prior to that would have been King David. And Jonah's alive during the time of a wicked king of Israel. That's not unusual. Uh, And in this case, we mean Israel as in the northern kingdom, not the southern kingdom. Kendall touched on that last week. Jeroboam II is king of the northern kingdom. And this is revealed in another book of the Bible, 2 Kings chapter 14. And from this chapter in Amos chapter 6, we have a reason to begin to question if Jonah is actually a good prophet himself, as his prophecy tends to support this wicked king, and it says nothing of confronting Jeroboam's evil. Well, moving on to the story of Jonah and the whale itself, we didn't read chapter 1, but a little bit of what happens there. In chapter 1, we hear the Lord call Jonah to go to this great Assyrian city of Nineveh and pronounce judgment of it. It was probably about 120,000 people there, according to what we read elsewhere. 
Well, Jonah doesn't like the sound of that, perhaps for the reasons I've already suggested. And so he attempts to escape the Lord's calling by hopping on a merchant ship that is actually going from the seaport of Joppa to Tarshish, which would have then, in those days, been about as far away as you could possibly have gotten from Nineveh. And and the thing is, you can't escape God, can you? Especially if you're one of his prophets, called to be his mouthpiece to the world, even a minor prophet. And so God causes a big storm to come up, and the boat begins to sink. The sailors try to think of ways that they can save themselves, but eventually Jonah convinces them it's his fault, and they just have to throw him overboard. And so they do, and immediately the sea calms down. And that's where our story picks up today. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I hate to burst any bubbles, particularly related to fond childhood memories, but contrary to popular belief, there is no mention of a whale. It's actually just seen as a great fish, but possibly it was a whale. We don't know. The Hebrews, I do not believe, have a word for, or in Hebrew, there is no word for whale. And ultimately, it doesn't matter. The thing that matters is that God chooses to rescue his runaway prophet. As Dr. Hal Seed puts it, God is too great to ignore what's going on in Nineveh and too full of grace to judge them without warning. And so God initiates his rescue plan for Jonah. This is not Jonah's doing, but his. Then in verses 1 through 10, we have what some have called Jonah's psalm, a song of praise to God. Depending on your opinion, though, you could either see it as a psalm of thanksgiving or a psalm of self-justification. You decide for yourself as we start to go through it. In verse 2, Jonah begins to pray to God from the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So far, so good. And then verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. I'm not so sure about that, knowing what we know, right? Verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now something's not quite right there either. Did you catch anything? Who cast Jonah into the deep? Yeah, Jonah. Thank you, Caleb. (laughs) It was Jonah, wasn't it? At the, at the sailor's request, they did it, and Jonah was thrown into the deep. Right? It was, sorry, at Jonah's request, they did it. God didn't do it. He simply wanted Jonah to stop running away. And who drove Jonah from God's sight? Jonah, yeah. It was Jonah who did the running away. He wasn't driven away from God, was he? No, no, he chose to do that. And as we read on through verses 5 through 9, we have a beautiful prayer, but there is one key thing missing. Any suggestions? Repentance. Yeah. Does he ever say sorry for what he's done? Does he ever confess that he's turned away from God and that he shouldn't have? We don't see that in here, do we? There's no sense of confession. As one commentator puts it, there is no explicit confession of sin or repentance in the song, which we might expect since Jonah's circumstances were due due to his resistance to the divine call. Instead, it is almost as if the song presumes an innocence. Jonah is delivered from death, but nothing in the song identifies why the singer is in danger or why Yahweh hurled him into the sea. Jonah simply asks for mercy, deliverance from death, but not mercy for his decision to flee from God. 
Well, there may be no repentance from Jonah, but he does remember to get a dig in about those who worship idols, such as the pagan sailors who just basically saved his life and are now committed to worshipping his God. In chapter 1, we see that they make sacrifices to God. Or the Ninevites, who he still doesn't want to go and visit. In fact, he gives mention of the holy temple in Jerusalem. It sounds like he's actually planning to head back home as soon as possible. And so God, perhaps having had enough, literally throws up, or at least he has the fish vomit Jonah out onto dry land. Perhaps he can't stomach any more of this. And in verse 10, we see the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. It seems somewhat appropriate if Jonah's still feeling pretty self-righteous. And from what we know of the rest of the story, he probably is. Yes, he does go to the people of Nineveh when God commands him a second time to go tell them to repent. But all they get from him is a brief and somewhat vague warning before he heads right out of the city and sits to watch them destroyed by God. But they do repent and God forgives them. And then Jonah is furious with God. How dare God be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, at least with non-Israelites. And so after throwing his temper tantrum for a second time, guess what he wants to do? He wants to die. But God then rightly corrects him, saying, Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? Yes, this is God's character. This is God's desire for all creation, Israelite or Ninevite, God's people or Godless, that they return to him in a restored relationship and walk with him as Adam and Eve once did in the Garden of Eden. This is his story. This is the story we're going through this current year. You know, as I've reflected on this story this past couple of weeks, Jonah actually reminds me of the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. You remember that story? The story about two sons. There's a wayward son who leaves and goes off and blows his half of the inheritance. But there's also a son, the older son, who doesn't leave home, but dutifully stays by his father's side. It seems good at first, doesn't it? But he is furious when the younger son returns and he repents and is forgiven and celebrated. He cannot believe his father would actually forgive him. And it's a tendency that many of us in the church can have if we're not careful. You know, the longer we remain within these four walls, the longer we don't share the gospel with others, the longer we don't invite others in, the more danger that we can start to believe that others don't deserve the mercy that we've received from our Father. And then, like Jonah, we can forget that the gospel is something that's meant to be shared with others. That as the church, we're meant to share the hope we've received through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Writing about our mission as the church, Ed Stetzer, who's the executive director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College, he says there are four commissions that Jesus gives to those who choose to follow him, four of them. Number one is this, we are sent. We are sent. We don't just stay, we're sent. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. We are sent, number two, to all peoples. We're sent to all peoples. We don't pick and choose. God tells Abraham that the Israelites will be a blessing to all people. And Jesus tells us to make disciples of all nations, right? Everyone is to be offered his mercy. Everyone, without fail. Thirdly, we are sent with a message, with a message. This message is basically there's a bloody cross 
Okay? There's an empty tomb, and Jesus died on the cross for our sins and in our place. That's our message. That's not necessarily a popular message, but it's the most important message in all of history that all people and all nations need to hear. And then fourthly, we are empowered by the Spirit as we are sent out. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended on those first disciples, and today he does the same for all those who choose to follow Jesus. God gifts and empowers those who do to do what they're called to do. So we're sent. We're sent to all peoples. We're sent with a message, and we're sent in the power of the Spirit. The question, though, is will we repent and follow Jesus? Living as sent people, people sent with this life-giving message, will we obey or choose to obey God? Or will we head in the other direction like Jonah? Now, you may be thinking, you don't understand, Jonathan. You don't understand. God couldn't use me. He couldn't. You don't know the depths to which I have descended, my own personal Sheol, like Jonah. You don't know how long I've been running. I've gone further than Tarshish. But as Jesus points out himself in our gospel reading today, Jonah's story points the way to freedom and healing. It points us to Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. As Jonah was entombed in this large fish for three days, so Jesus was entombed in a grave for three days. As Jonah rose again from the depths after three days, so Jesus rose up from the grave, conquering sin and death and validating all that he had said and done and revealing the incredible power he has to transform even the darkest of situations. You know, often it takes the darkest of situations, what's called reaching rock bottom, for someone to truly see their need for God, to finally stop trying to either run from him or to try and rescue themselves. And you know, whether or not Jonah truly means what he says in this passage, he is absolutely correct about one thing. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Did you catch that in verse 9? Yes, whatever you need saving from, salvation comes from the Lord. Are you struggling with depression? Salvation comes from the Lord. Are you in debt up to your eyeballs? Salvation comes from the Lord. Are you overwhelmed by your kids? Say it with me. Salvation comes from the Lord. Are you a functioning alcoholic? Salvation comes from the Lord. Are you wrestling with pornography? Say it with me. Salvation comes from the Lord. Is your marriage falling apart? Are you struggling with self-image or body image? Are you tired of keeping up with the Joneses? Here's a good one. Are you unable to talk to that person you know who's a Democrat, Republican, Biden lover, Trump lover? Amen. Are you unable to forgive someone? Or are you unable to forgive yourself? I think maybe three of you believe it, but that's okay. (laughs) I'll take it. Salvation comes from the Lord, friends. I don't know necessarily what's going on in your life today. Some of you I do, some of you I don't. But I don't know if you're on top of the water, floating in calm seas, 
or if you're in the midst of a storm, drowning at the bottom of the ocean, or just somewhere in between. But I do know that God can rescue you, and he can set your feet on dry ground again. And I also know that God's got a specific call for your life. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. And maybe you need to stop running away, or maybe you need to stop trying to be someone that you're not, and to be the person that God's made you to be. There's an old Hasidic tale that reveals with amazing brevity both the universal tendency to want to be someone else and the ultimate importance of being or becoming oneself. Jewish rabbi Zuzia, when he was an old man, said, In the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zuzia? Will you be who God is calling you to be? using the unique gifts he has given you and in the power of his Holy Spirit, bringing his message of salvation to all people. Maybe God's calling you to go to those who are seen as unforgivable in this culture. Through our Kairos ministry, perhaps, to prisoners in South Carolina jails, murderers, rapists, pedophiles, whoever it might be. Or to those who are seen by some as unworthy of the gospel because of their religion or their race or their social status or their sexuality, or their income bracket, or their political affiliation, etc., etc. God offers his grace to all people. Or maybe today he's just asking you to forgive someone in your life who you've had a hard heart towards for years and years. And he wants you to share the message of God's love and forgiveness that you have received and that you hope they will receive too as you forgive them. This is your story. This is our story. This is his story. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come move in our hearts today. And for those people who are drowning at the bottom of the ocean, people who are just struggling in a dark place, would you help them to cry out to you today? to repent and to turn to you, Lord Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe it's for the 23rd time, Lord Jesus, because they're struggling with a particular sin. They're running away from you, unwilling to submit, and they feel distant, Lord Jesus. Would you help us come back to you, Lord God? And would you help us to go out uh, equipped in the power of your spirit to share the message of hope that you have for the world, not keeping it to ourselves, but inviting others in with this great message of your gospel hope, that there's a bloody cross and there's an empty tomb. And because of those very things, we can be forgiven and set free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.